Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, October 25th by lead pastor Rod Heppel. It is the sixth message in our fall 2020 sermon series entitled God of Wonder. Please check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. If you joined us the past two Sundays, you know that Pastor Rob Schaff spoke on Jesus and his authority, and then Pastor Tim last week preached on encountering God through suffering. Both were excellent, excellent messages, and if you didn't tune in and you missed them, you can still watch them. You just got to go to our website, sardisfellowship.com, and there you can watch any of our, our messages that you ever miss, so check that out. I also want to say that I'm super grateful for our team of pastors that God has provided for this church family. Uh, and for the spirit of cooperation that is here. In November, we will also be hearing from Pastor Eugene, and he's going to preach on prayer, and also from Dr. Archie Spencer, and he'll preach in Isaiah 40. So I hope that you really appreciate the variety of voices that are speaking into this sermon series on God. Our goal in this series is to learn about God in order to know God so that we can better worship Him. That's, That's what we're trying to get to, is a place of deeper and fuller worship. Now, you may remember that we had a challenge we put out to you that you would maybe try to do something very intentional over the course of these 10 weeks in order to draw near to God. So this is the halfway point, uh, sermon number five, and I want to check in to see how you're doing. Are you reading your Bible and praying regularly, spending time with God, right? Uh, did you plan to journal, and are you, are you doing that? Are you writing out your thoughts, and how is that going? Uh, did you buy a book? We talked about maybe purchasing a book on God and reading it during these 10 weeks. Or maybe you chose something else completely different, but that's fine. I'm just checking in to see if you're still on target. How's it going? And if you're not, hey, get back into it, right? It's not too late. We've got five more weeks to go in the God of Wonder sermon series. Now, as we also said back at the beginning of this series, uh, we could talk about God in in 100 sermons or more. It's just a huge topic. Um, We could talk about his nature and, you know, his attributes, his character, his actions in history, his uniqueness and revelation. And we have been talking about these things and the difference that it makes in our lives. But you know, it's a challenge to try to do justice to this topic, to try and cover all of the qualities of who God is and understand who he is and how he operates in our lives. It's challenging to, in a sense, sum up God. You know, we might be tempted Uh, to put one attribute as his main attribute, like his love or holiness, his all-powerfulness. But that doesn't really help us. The Bible tells us that he is all of these things. He is love, he is holy, he is good, he is just, he is all-powerful. Is one of these attributes more definitive of God than the next? Is he more holy than, than he is powerful? Is he more loving than he is just? No. All of these are his attributes that he holds in perfection, one at the same time. That's the God of the Bible. The reason why I'm drawing this out today is because we're looking at two of those attributes of God that are held in perfect tension. The Bible portrays two sides of God, his love and his holiness, or sometimes we refer to it as his love and his justice. It's not one or other, it's it's both. God has no problem holding these attributes in perfection, um, in perfect tension within himself. But but we do. We struggle to understand that. A mentor friend of mine said to me the other day, have you ever seen a violin make music where the strings are loose? So we live in these tensions, and tension isn't bad. God lives in holiness and love in perfect unison. Now, when we talk about God's holiness, it includes things like his majesty, his glory, power, justice, 
and we talk about God's love, it includes mercy, grace, compassion, patience. But the question that I want us to explore today comes from a somewhat familiar verse that we quote from time to time, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or the beginning of knowledge. And, and the question that I have is, what kind of fear is this that leads to wisdom? And secondly, why does it make us wise? What does it mean to fear the Lord? So that's what I want us to kind of look at today as we kind of explore his love um, and his justice. Now, all my growing up years, my parents taught me about God. Uh, they read to us Bible stories. Uh, they became believers as adults, and when they trusted in Christ, they wanted to make their home a place where they taught their kids what the Bible taught about God and his plan of salvation for each of us. And they did a great job in helping us really understand the main thing, which was the gospel. And I just encourage you parents out there that are listening, make sure you help your kids understand the gospel. Um, God will use you to bring them to faith. Now, my parents taught us who Jesus was, why he came to, to earth and he died on the cross and he rose to life again. They also taught me, though, that it wasn't good enough just to go to church or to be a good person, but that I needed to be saved from my sins and that that required me personally putting my faith in Jesus to have my sins forgiven and then to live in a personal relationship with him, an obedient one. So that was all really good. Now, as a kid, I, I heard those Bible stories in church, in Sunday school. I read the Bible myself as a, a youth or young adult um, a few different times. So I was quite familiar with what the Bible taught. And I heard hundreds of sermons over my lifetime. So I think that I would have said that I had a pretty good grasp in the Old Testament and the New Testament of the power and the holiness of God, as well as his judgment on sin. I knew the stories like, you know, the earth opening up and swallowing people and fire falling from heaven and turning people into pillars of salt. God sending venomous snakes to attack the Israelites for complaining. And even in the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira lived uh, a lie, pardon me, lied to God, and they dropped dead. Like, I, I knew all those stories. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that by the time I was 18, I think I would have thought that I had a pretty good idea of what the Bible had to say about fearing God that mostly came from stories like that. I would have said that I think he's a pretty scary guy, and I feared him. But was I right? You know, I concluded that to fear God meant that you were to be afraid of him. Now, is that the kind of fearing God that God wants me to have of him, to be afraid of him? That doesn't quite ring true, does it? When we look at this verse in Proverbs, we have to ask, what does he have in mind when he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? What kind of fear? Now, I'm going to give you the answer right up front. The answer is no. It's not accurate to say that God just wants us to be afraid of him, and that's not what the author of Proverbs has in mind. If anything, the fear of the Lord has to do with us drawing near to God because he is good, and he wants us to come to him. He has made us in his image that we might be in relationship with him, our creator, our redeemer, our God. You know, he's the one who engaged us through Jesus, his son, that we might be called sons and daughters of God. He was the one who sent his son into the world to save us. And Jesus is the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He's the one who says, I give you my spirit, the Holy Spirit by whom you cry, Abba, Father, which is this endearing term of tenderness, Papa, Daddy. That's what God desires, to commune with us and be in relationship. But then why do these images of God's power and judgment in the Old Testament, why are they there? Like, what purpose do they serve, and how do we understand him? 
It is to help us understand his greatness and his holiness. Those stories are there of his justice and his power, but they're also there of his love and provision and care and patience and kindness. Sometimes we just see the one without the other. But the pictures of God's power are there so that we might know who he truly is and all of his greatness. Now, each of these Bible stories also has a context, especially in God's judgment of people. And, you know, you need to read those contexts to realize that God is holy and just in his judgment with those people who were wicked and rebellious towards God. God does judge sin, and he is just in his judgment. Now, as I grew older, I, I kind of came to understand that a little bit better, that God is not evil, that God is good, and that he has to judge evil. He can't just turn a blind eye and let people off the hook, so to speak. Now, we don't want to be judged for our sins, but we do want other people to be judged for theirs when they're bad, right? Like back in the late 1980s in Ontario, there was a serial killer, a rapist named Paul Bernardo, and he was finally caught and brought to trial for the crimes that he did, which were beyond comprehension. And someone spray-painted on a wall, burn in hell, Bernardo, which Paul Chamberlain asked the question, why would someone write that? You know why? Because people want justice when there's true evil in the world. People don't want God to turn a blind eye. They want God to bring judge, judgment and justice to a situation like that. Here's where I want you to land. God is completely just in his justice. You know, maybe we fear God because we think he's harsh and unfair. But that's not God. His justice and his love are held in perfect tension, in perfect unity. God is not unjust. So... I've been thinking about this relationship between our human experience with fear and that of this reverent sort of fear that we are to have of the Lord because that's what the kind of fear is that the Bible talks about that we are to have with God. It's this reverent sense of awe and wonder at the goodness and the greatness and the character of God, including all of his love and all of his justice. Now, we all have felt fear, like when the hair stands up in the back of your neck and your hand starts to tremble and your knees turn to rubber, right? That kind of fear. And now, I know I've told this story in the past, but when Anne and I were newly married, uh, we had a couple of break-ins at our house. We lived out in the countryside, and we were just an easy target, especially on a Sunday morning when we were out at church. But one night, I woke up to go to the washroom, and as I rounded the corner of our bed, I stopped in a fright. I could see the shadow of a figure looming at the entrance of the door to our bedroom, asking myself if I was awake, and I was, and asking myself if I did see the figure of a human being in our bedroom, and I did. I went from zero to 100 in like my fear factor. I mean, my heart just pounded right out of my chest, and I just screamed at the top of my lungs, you get out of here, get out of here now, and I lunged forward towards this guy. At that moment, my wife woke up, hearing me screaming, hit the lights. The lights came on just before I ran my head into the upright mirror that was on the wall. That's right. I had seen my own figure in that mirror. Now, that's a true story, but I just want to say that that guy was huge, okay? And that's what, that's what fear feels like, right? And we just kind of tremble. Now, when God was introducing himself to the nation of Israel, he displayed a bit of his power and glory. He showed it first through the plagues that he brought on Egypt. But then when he wanted to you know, enter into a covenant relationship with his people, he, governed, um, he gathered them at the foot of, of Mount Sinai, and he displayed a little bit more of his power and glory. 
Now, Exodus 19 puts it like this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up uh, from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. They trembled at this display of God's glory because it was awesome. You know, that's what we say when we see something that's unbelievable. But God's glory was shown to the people so that they might know his greatness as they entered into this relationship with God. You know, they trembled. And if God were to show himself to us like that today, we would tremble too. Uh, You know, we need to be reminded of the greatness of God, and that's who he is, and that's why we worship him. He's not that little pathetic picture that sometimes we have in our head like he's Papa Noel, the benevolent grandpa like Santa, or he's this limited being who doesn't have any power and we put him in a box. No, he's thunder and lightning and fire and smoke and the earth shakes and it causes us to tremble. And it's not a bad thing for us to remember that that is our God who we worship. Now when God was calling Isaiah the prophet to go and to speak to his people, he purified him for that task. And in so doing, he gave Isaiah a bit of a glimpse of God's realm, a peek behind the curtain of his throne room. And in that moment, Isaiah learned something. So I'm going to read that passage again. I read it back a few weeks ago. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. You start to see some of that imagery again, right? Woe to me! I cried, I am, a, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the, from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know, Isaiah's response when he saw a glimpse of God's glory was to say, woe to me, I am ruined. He saw how holy God is. And in that moment, immediately he becomes aware of how unholy he is. And this is important because this is a kind of awe-inspired faith that is the beginning of wisdom, right? To realize how great God truly is. That's the starting point. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's what that proverb is trying to tell to us. Pastor Eugene also pointed out about this passage that even the angelic beings who are created to minister in the presence of God, even them had wings, two to cover their faces, two to cover their feet, because they were in the presence of God and God is holy. It's a symbolic picture of this incredible divide between the creator and the creature. That's how holy God is. Now, these kinds of pictures of the holiness and power and majesty and glory of God are recorded for us so that we might understand the one to whom we come, the one that we worship, 
But the goal of this is not to produce in us a fear where I'm afraid of God and therefore I'm going to turn from God and run away from him. It's not, that's not the goal. The goal is what happened to, to Isaiah, that he acknowledges a couple things. One, he realizes that God is great and holy, and two, he realizes that he is not. But then, you know, he stayed there in the presence of God, and the angel touched that coal to his lips, cleansing him of his sin so that he might be made right with God and ready to serve. Now, that's what we want. This is the goal of seeing God's glory. It's to make us ready to serve God. Wisdom begins when we see God in his holiness and us in our unholiness and our absolute need for him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So does a person need to be afraid of God? Well, that kind of depends. You know, if you're living in sin, then yes, you should be afraid of God. Uh, Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. And in Hebrews, it says it's appointed once for a person to die and after that, the judgment. You know, God knows your sin, and unless you turn to him with a sincere, repentant heart, you'll be judged by him, and you will have no advocate. Hebrews says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, to not have someone who is there to be your advocate, which is Jesus. On the other hand, the answer is no. You do not need to be afraid of God if you have received God's gift, his son Jesus, who died on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin, for you to enter into a living relationship with him. Then when the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it means that you have come to that place of understanding where you know that you need God and you accept his answer to the problem for sin that we have, and that's Jesus. You, you can be the smartest person in the whole wide world and not have wisdom because you do not fear God in this way. Wisdom begins when you recognize that God is greater than you. And that your life needs to align with his will. And the starting point for that is to understand our own problem with sin. And to understand that God is the one who is taking care of it by sending his son Jesus to save us. So, what kind of fear is bent when it says the fear of the Lord? It's really reverence. And, and it's the point of standing in God's presence with awe. And that everything we realize is in this world has come from God. And that God has entered into this world to save us. To fear God means to honor him above everyone and everything else in life. To acknowledge him and exalt him and obey him, to worship him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Here's what I, I want you to take away today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Therefore, draw near to God and desire him. That's the goal with this message today, that a proper understanding of God draws us to him, to be in awe of him, to love and worship and serve him. This doesn't happen overnight. I, you know, we're not perfect people. It's a lifelong learning process of coming near to God and learning to love what he loves and hate what he hates. The fear of the Lord leads me to desire him and what he desires. So, I want to just take a few moments and look at some of the verses that speak about this idea of fearing the Lord, just to see how it works in our lives. So, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the function of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So, it's by drawing near to God that doing His will produces good judgment in us.
Proverbs 3, 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When we fear the Lord, we turn away from evil. Well, why? Well, maybe because we know that he's watching and that we give account of our lives and our actions to him. But you know, that can be a pretty legalistic approach. The better understanding of why we turn away from evil is because we know God's heart and we want to obey him. His desire becomes our desire. Proverbs 14 says, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is life-giving. It's a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. That's amazing. You know, the, the fear of the Lord gives us a sense of security and confidence that we know that we belong to him. We are his children. We can run to him anytime, and he takes us into his open arms. I think that that's the point of the story of the prodigal son. It's a picture of the love of a father for his son. The father daily went out to see if his wayward son would return home. And when he did, he ran to him and he hugged him and kissed him. God is our refuge. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are God's children. In Romans 8, verse 15, it says that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So to fear the Lord also gives us life. It saves us from the pitfalls and the snares of death, from destruction that comes from indulging in our flesh. When we draw near to God, we desire what he desires, and we avoid a lot of pain in life. Psalm 33.8 says, Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of him. To stand in awe of the creator of it all, our redeemer, our reconciler, our savior. In Deuteronomy 13.4, it says, Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. That's awesome language. Cling to him. Here's the difference in understanding the fear of the Lord properly. We are not to be afraid and run away from God. We are to be afraid to be away from God. Uh, to fear God is to cling to him. For it's only in being close to God. Actually, really, it's only being in God that we can live free of the fears of this world. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone obey his commands listen to his voice and cling to him that's beautiful you know at one point jesus said to his disciples you don't want to leave too do you to which peter replied to whom shall we turn you alone have the words of eternal life let's cling to him so where does this bring us to today there are some things that I want you to hear today, and there's some things that I don't want you to hear today. So I want to highlight a few of those. I want you to hear that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8 says, therefore there, is no, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer on that side of the equation. You belong to Christ, and you are a child of God. However, I want you to hear, too, that if you are in Christ, you should not be living in sin. 
And if you are living in sin, then you need to repent of it. And you need to walk in the light of Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to hear that our Heavenly Father is waiting and longing for us to return home into the safety of his arms. 1 John 1, 9. I also want you to hear that fearing the Lord is a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's not something that's scary. It's something inviting. It gives life and confidence and love and joy and peace that passes understanding. It draws us into the presence of God whereby, whereby we say, Abba, Father, and we desire him. Now, there are some things that I don't want you to hear today. I don't want you to hear that outside of Christ, you're perfectly fine, that it's all going to be okay in the end. That's not the message of the gospel. Jesus came into this world on purpose to go to the cross and to die there to pay for your sin and mine, and you need to receive him into your life as your Savior and your Lord. Now, if you reject God's gift to you, there is no salvation outside of Christ Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's in God's Son that there's eternal life. And as already quoted, first John, I mean John 1 12, to everyone who receives him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what God wants for you. You need to receive Jesus into your life. And you can do so. You can do it right now. It's not a magical formula, it's called faith. It's simply trusting God to do what he said he would do in forgiving your sins and making you his child when you trust Jesus. I also don't want you to hear legalism today. It, it does not say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of legalism. There is no room for self-righteousness in the equation of our salvation. It, our salvation is just an overwhelming sense of God's mercy and grace in my life. And as I seek to draw near to Him, it only becomes more and more an understanding of just how deep His richness of His mercy and grace is to me, which then, by extension, is what I show to other people around me. So it's not legalism. It's love. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Therefore, draw near to God and desire him. That's where I want you to land. Draw near to God and desire him. And we're going to be living out what God wants us to do when he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your holiness, and your love. You are this incredible God who goes so far beyond us that we need to just take moments to pause in your presence, to stand in awe of you, to stand in awe of you for all of what you've done, but also to stand in awe of you for all of who you are. And so I would pray that we would not run from you, but we would run to you. I would pray that in your presence, we would have a growing sense of your righteousness and that we would desire what you desire that the will of our life would align with the will that you have for us. So, Father, I just pray this blessing on our church family and anyone else who's joining us today, that we would understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May every person listening today have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, I have a few uh, discussion questions for you today. The first one is, in what ways have you come to understand the love and justice of God in your life? The second one, 
How do you understand the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? What are some of your own thoughts around that? And the last question, why would you want to stay close to God rather than run away from him? So I hope you enjoy discussing those questions and that you join us again next Sunday right here as we carry on in our God of Wonder sermon series. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.